0: Father God, just as we look at these verses and and just prepare ourselves again, Lord, looking at uh, the birth of your Son, our Saviour, we pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Father God, whether we be uh, listening at home or listening later on, Father God, or here in this building, Father, we pray that your Spirit would fall upon each one of us, Lord, not because of uh, the person saying the words, but because your Holy Spirit does amazing things with what's true, Lord, we want this talk to be about what's true of you, and we pray that truth would penetrate deep into people's hearts, Father God, into the very soul, Lord Hebrews reminds us that the word of God deeper, separates even bone and marrow. We pray, Lord, you'd separate, Father, our hurts and our joys, and you would just uh, heal and bless and challenge in those deep, dark areas this morning. So pray your blessing on every person listening, Father, wherever and whenever they might be listening. And we ask you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, first things first, I forgot to mention the post box. Sorry, I changed. very <laughs> really quickly. Um, there's a post box over there. Every you have the, the church. Post box, is very exciting. Um, if you want to send someone a card in this church and you really can't bother to give it to them in person, um, you're welcome to put it in the, uh, the post box and then uh, somewhere around Christmas we we'll arrange them neatly on a couple of tables and then people can collect them all in one big bundle. And it's always a competition who's got the most cards at Christmas. I've won it a few times. Anyway, that's irrelevant. <laughs> Probably not going to win it this year now, though. I've said that. Anyway. Um, yeah, so we're going to look at, again just at those verses Roger very kindly read to us um, and get ourselves ready. We're looking at the incarnation, but I want to tell you a little a story that happened this week. Uh, I write my sermon in a well-known local cafe, um, which some of you will know because you see me and wave to me as I'm sitting there working very hard on a Thursday morning. And uh, in this particular cafe, which should remain nameless, um, just in case the person's listening, uh, there was a dad in there uh, with his young, young daughter. And uh, it turns out I was overhearing, uh, listening in on his conversation, because I'm a good Christian. I didn't gossip, but I did did eavesdrop. But he was uh, talking to the owner of the cafe, and uh, and he was just discussing belief in Father Christmas, Santa, in case you were confused. And uh, and so he was saying that his 12-year-old daughter still believes in Father Christmas. And they both said, "Well, you know, bless them. It's normal, isn't it?" And he said, "Well, she's a bit old, really, to believe in Father Christmas. I'm sorry if some of you have shattered your illusions." Uh, so he still believed in Father Christmas, and uh, and so he said to her, so he said, "I think she's hanging on to the belief in Father Christmas." He said, "Because once you stop it, once you sort of maybe you're not sure, um, then the whole magic of Christmas is lost, isn't it?" And so as I'm sitting there thinking, hearing this, I thought, "Isn't it a shame?" that actually he thinks everything is about one man. Everything that was to do with Christmas is about Father Christmas. And actually in that moment he said that, I wanted to throw my pen on the table and jump up and go, are you kidding me? How can you get that excited about that guy? As good as he is, lovely as he is, I'm sure. And not get as excited about the magic of the incarnation, the mystery of the incarnation when God's son becomes a baby in the manger, in the stable to suggest that once you hit 12 or 13 the magic of Christmas somehow evaporates and it becomes something that's just for kids and not for sensible, logical adults I thought it's crazy I'm getting more excited about Christmas yes, if you didn't think that was possible but more excited as I get ready to remember that amazing moment, God became a baby God became a human being Forget everything else you might be told and everything else society focuses on. How wonderful and how exciting is it that God should become a little baby in a manger. And I really wanted to jump up and say all that to him, but I realised that would be probably a bit odd, so I didn't. But maybe next time I'll see him, maybe I'll suggest that to him. I want to play a little video that, um, that I found this week that just reminds us of, the, of the, the wonder of that first Christmas. So just watch this for a couple of minutes. So I like that. It's just because we're reminded of how wonderful and amazing it is that first Christmas. And it makes me so sad, actually, that people uh, pin their hopes and all the kind of extra stuff that we've surrounded ourselves, of uh, Christmas trees and tinsel, we pin our hope and our joy on those things rather than on the one who came to be Prince of Peace and King of Kings. So we're exploring the incarnation um, as a church over this Advent period. We're going to take a pause next week, obviously, while we all dress up as shepherds, and then we'll be back to it on the 22nd in the morning. Um, the incarnation is the... The Latin word from John 1:14 that describes Jesus literally becoming flesh uh, in, the, in the manger in Bethlehem. and it's called the Incarnation. He's incarnated amongst us last week. We looked at that, we looked at how He became flesh, how Jesus became a human being. We looked at it. Remember I put my coat on, and I was saying that when Jesus became a baby, he wasn't just putting on flesh like a coat, and he wasn't really a human being at all. He's pretending to be one. Uh, it's not that he's a full human being, fully man as well as fully God we talked about that and then we talked about Mary and the challenge of being called by God to serve this king and we talked about how it's a massive privilege to serve the king of kings be it small in the world's eyes or great in the world's eyes what a privilege it is to serve the king and then we said it's a real challenge that we can find ourselves perhaps even in the way of God's purposes when he calls us and we ignore it so we looked at how last week this week we want to look at why why did Jesus become a baby why is he with us? And oddly enough, the Christmas passages, Mark and Luke particularly, don't really bother to explain how he became a baby. And uh, and if you're anything like me, you've got lots of questions and you want lots of answers. You want to know how did he become, how did an eternal God who was there before everything and will be there at the end of everything, who invented time and space, who sees all of history, everything, how does he become a baby in a womb and then in a manger? How does that actually work? I've got lots of technical questions. When I get to heaven, I've got a big list of technical questions. So Lord, how did it actually work? But God doesn't bother telling us how. He tells us just that it did happen. That Jesus did become a full human being in the womb of his mother and was born like us, but perfectly God at the same time. The Christmas passages that we're so familiar with are less bothered about telling us how, but more concerned with telling us why. And this is an important thing to note because actually the Bible only ever tells us what we need to know. That's an important thing because lots of people, you might see a dinosaur in the corner there, um, running away, because uh, it's very small, di- oh sorry, there. Um, because a lot of people, the first thing they ask you when you become a Christian is, so what about dinosaurs? And sometimes you think, I not know, I mean we talk about dinosaurs too often, but there is an answer. There are things you can say about dinosaurs, we're going off on a tangent, but the reason I say this, is because God doesn't mention the things we might want him to mention in the Bible. He mentions the things you need to hear. He mentions the things you need to know for your eternal salvation, for forgiveness, for restoration, for transformation of your very soul and your body and your nature, everything. He doesn't, he's less bothered with telling you what happened to the t T-Rex with little arms. He's more bothered about telling you about his son who was crucified for your sin and the resurrection from the grave. So it's not that those things can't be answered. It's that God's more concerned with what's important and it's the same with the christmas passages god wants us to know why he sent his son and that's what we're looking at this morning so why did jesus come to earth obviously easter is the answer uh, the cross and the resurrection for our sin but 30 years later 30 years after his birth as jesus begins his ministry he would walk into a synagogue in a place called nazareth and he would open up the scroll in the in the synagogue, and he would do that day's reading. And he timed his arrival in that synagogue to perfection. And he would read out the words of Isaiah 61, and uh, verses eight. Sorry, Isaiah 61, and he would read out what's quoted in Luke chapter four. That's where the story is. And uh, we're just going to move away from Christmas for a second or two. But as he walked into that synagogue. He would read these verses from Isaiah 61, verses that are very familiar to the Jewish readers, verses that represent the hope of thousands of years, hundreds of years I should say, that the hope reflected thousands of years worth of hope. A a, a verse, a prophecy, where God said he was going to come and he was going to do something amazing, he was going to send someone to bring forgiveness and transformation. So Jesus unrolled this scroll 30 years after his birth and he read these verses said the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the lord's favor jesus unrolls that score he reads these words out and we say why did jesus come this is the answer Jesus rolled it back up and said, Today, in your hearing, these words have been fulfilled. As he unrolled that scroll, read out those prophetic words that were six, seven hundred years old, and no one had come from heaven to fulfill them, to bring that hope for the captives, to liberate those in prison, to give sight to the blind, and to proclaim God's favor. Jesus rolled it back up and said, Today, now, I'm the one. I'm the one you've been waiting for for all these thousands and hundreds of years. From Isaiah 61 on Thursday some of us most of us hopefully if you're over 18 will vote in a general election and we've all been uh, thrown our way lots of manifestos from all parties but particularly I guess the main three and uh, and each of them promised to do various things don't they? if you elect me you'll all have this or I'll do this and this will happen we'll give money to this we'll take money from that we'll do this everything will be wonderful vote for us vote for us vote for us A manifesto is a published declaration of the intentions, the motives, or views of the issuer. An individual, a group, political party, or a government. And as Jesus read these words out in Luke chapter 4, this was his manifesto. This is what he stands for. This is what he comes to do. This is what he still does today, 2,000 years later, because he's not dead. Jesus is alive. This is his manifesto. And so let me just go through these verses, and then we'll loop back on to the Christmas passages again he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour who are the poor that Jesus promised to come and bring good news to who are these poor he's speaking to those who are poor and have nothing but have decided to trust in christ and in god no matter what the poor that he comes to bring good news to are those who have decided in their poverty not to trust in riches or dishonest gain but to pin their hopes on god knowing that one day he'll come through one day he'll set them free and so the poor person who has struggled every single day jesus says good news i'm here the king has come Your hope has not been in vain. How many of us in this room have put our hope in God and it seems like weeks have turned to months or months have turned to years. When, Lord? Well, Jesus comes to bring you good news because your hope is not in vain. Your hope in God is never in vain. That's who the poor is. Not just materially poor, but spiritually poor. How many in this room feel broken spiritually? How many people watching or watching later on feel broken? You feel at the end of your tether, and you think, Lord, I've hung on to you for so long. Where are you? And yet your hope will never be in vain, I promise you. Time is a funny old thing. It goes and it goes and it goes. We wonder if God has somehow got lost in the process. But how can an eternal God who sees everything perfectly ever get lost to the past? He's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so Jesus comes and says good news to proclaim good news to the poor spiritually and materially who are these captives that he proclaims freedom to who are the prisoners Well, in the context of Isaiah 61 50 years before this it was people that were lost in exile to a nation called Babylon but in the new testament the people Jesus comes to speak of freedom from prison are those trapped by their sin How many people are trapped by their sin, their bad decisions, their deliberate decision to ignore the things of God and go their own way? How many people are locked in a prison of their own making? And Jesus says, I'm the one who's come to set you free. Freedom for the prisoner. That's his manifesto. Not just to give more stuff, but to turn a key that you cannot turn yourself. Who are the blind that he will give sight to? The recovery of sight for the blind. This is literally those who are blind, but those who are spiritually blind as well. In the ministry of Jesus, he would more often than not, it seems, be opening the blind eyes literally. It seems to me the miracle he did more than any other, and I think there's a good reason for that, because we're spiritually blind to the things of God so often, aren't we? God is there shouting your name, and you just refuse to see it. Spiritual blindness. And so as Jesus opened the eyes physically of people, I think he was saying... I want to do that spiritually for you as well. So he's going to come and he's going to let people see the things of God for the first time. How wonderful it is in that moment you give your life to Christ. How wonderful it is when you, you go deeper in your faith and you begin to see God spiritually. How wonderful it is when you begin to understand the things of God and how beautiful it is when you almost feel like you're gazing on the face of God himself, the face of Jesus. How fantastic is that because he's allowed you to see who is really your hope talks of setting the oppressed free. And across Jesus' ministry, did he not see time and time again people oppressed by sickness, by evil and demons, oppressed by sin or morality. And every time he restored them and sent them on their way. And then finally, it talks of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. In the Old Testament, an amazing thing called Jubilee happened every 50 years. Every 50 years, Leviticus 25.10 tells us, They were to proclaim liberty across all of Israel, across the whole of the land. In that year, they would do no farming. Everything would rest. If you had to sell yourself as a slave due to poverty, you would have to be restored. You would go home to your ancestral home. Land that you'd have to sell would be given back to you. Everything would be restored. And God's favor would rest equally on all his people. And Jesus is saying in these verses that he comes to get people to go back where god originally intended and this links us back to those christmas verses because as jesus birth is announced he's called savior he's called the savior who will be born and he comes to do those things in luke 4 and he still does them today and what's wonderful about jesus is he's not just the proclaimer of good news he comes to be a baby and manger because he's the deliverer of that good news as well he doesn't just talk a good game like so many people have been doing the last few weeks he is the game he is the one that delivers and proclaims good news if you don't know him this morning or maybe you're watching randomly on youtube or something that's a strange thought um wherever the camera is where it is now i can't find it um but if you don't know jesus he doesn't just tell you the things that are good and leave you to it he wants to change you from the inside he is the good news and the proclaimer of it and so how would he do those things as wonderful as are? how would jesus do all those things i've just said well in uh, luke 2 which roger kindly read to us there's just two verses i want to focus on just for a couple of minutes that tell us three ways jesus will set his people free or three three places jesus will set us free from in verse 11 it says today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And there's three things that we get from these two verses that remind us of how and where Jesus will provide deliverance and salvation for those who trust in him. Notice in verse 11, he's called the Messiah. The Messiah um, is the Old Testament form of the word Christ, uh, which simply means the anointed one. But in the Old Testament, they had this hope almost from the beginning of the Bible. That God was going to send a heavenly being. Someone was going to come down from heaven. God himself. who was going to come and he was going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Psalm 2 talks about the king that will come to be on the throne. 2 Samuel 7, uh, God promises David that one of his sons will set up a kingdom and that king will have a kingdom that will have no end and will never not be on that throne. Micah 5.2 talks of a ruler coming from Bethlehem. They were expecting a king. They were expecting a king who would sit on their throne and never leave it. An everlasting, eternal, godly king. And so the angel says he is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one you've been waiting for. And it occurred to me last week that when you look, go through the nativity story, you've got a star in heaven, you've got kings that come from the east, you've got angels, you've got gold and posh spices, um, not posh spices, posh Rephrase that. Um, you've got spices that are expensive, expensive spices. And that's when they get older and reform. Um, anyway, because um, you've got tired spice now, haven't you? <laughs> Exhausted spice, and then you've got expensive spice. Anyway, so you've got the star, you've got the magi, you've got all these elements that actually people worship. Don't they? people put their hope in the stars and do their, their tarot readings and all these things that are, are just not worth trusting people look to the universe some people trust fame and fortune and celebrity which are the magi some people trust in angelic beings uh, I even write a cafe that has that as its title people trust in divine beings they've got no knowledge of people trust in gold they trust in celebrity, they trust in expense and yet isn't it interesting that when it comes to that birth of Jesus, all those things almost bound down in homage to Jesus Christ because he is above them all. He is the only one worth worshipping. They are subordinate to him. He is the one on the throne. All things, the Bible says, will be under his feet. And so Jesus comes to set us free from above. The Bible says he is at the right hand of the Father today. If he is your Lord this morning, he's not just some figure from history. he's at the right hand of God the Father. And the Bible says that he speaks, he prays for us, on our behalf he sets us free by being alongside us verse 11 again uh, we read today in the town of David a saviour has been born to you a saviour born but to you there's something very personal about the Christmas accounts in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 9 to 13 the writer says this but we do see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers brothers. And sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, Here I am, and the children God has given me. He doesn't just come to be the divine king on a throne, he comes to offer salvation alongside us. And the story of Jesus' ministry is of someone who walked one to one hand in hand with the broken and the needy and the lost, offering them forgiveness and love and, yes, even challenge. He brings salvation not just from a throne in heaven, but from right next to us, our hand in his. Um, AD 381, a very well-known early church leader said this of Jesus, he began his ministry by being hungry, yet he is the bread of life. Jesus ended his earthly ministry by being thirsty, yet he is the living water. He was weary, yet he is our rest. Jesus paid tribute, yet he is the king. Jesus was accused of having a demon, yet he cast out demons. Jesus wept, yet he wipes away our tears. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he redeemed the world. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he is the good shepherd. Jesus died, yet by his death, He destroyed the power of death. He saves us from above. He saves us by being alongside us and walking this terrible life Our hand in his. And the third thing is he saves us instead of us. He says that the baby will be born in a manger. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. They reckon, one theory I read a few years ago, and I quite like it, so I'm going to stick with it, but they reckon, um, they reckon that the shepherds uh, that would have been called to see Jesus were shepherds that reared cattle and sheep for the sacrifice in the temple. That these men, would have their job would have been getting the, the, the sacrifices ready so that they could be taken to the temple and sacrificed for the sin of those that went day by week, by week and year by year. And so it's interesting that he says a sign for you, She'll be a, a baby lying wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And one theory is, which I love, is that apparently in Bethlehem there was something, I can't remember what it's call it now, a tower. And they reckon that when they were going to get a, a baby lamb ready to be sacrificed on behalf of people's sin, they would take it and they would wrap it in cloths and they would lay it there in a manger to be checked. And if it was good enough, it would be used on behalf of the people. And so the theory goes that as the shepherds walked into this place, they saw a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger and the symbolism wasn't lost on them and that would explain their joy afterwards, wouldn't it? Why wouldn't they understand? Why would they understand the significance of this child unless they understood that he came to be a perfect lamb to be sacrificed on our behalf? And Hebrews 2 goes on to say even more about Jesus. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him that's the devil who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives have been held in slavery by their fear of death for surely it is not angels he helps but Adam's Abraham's descendants for this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a faithful a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God And that he might make an atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And obviously the Christmas story ends at the cross and the empty tomb. But the point of this is that Jesus became one of us. To give us deliverance. To set us free from all that breaks us. And our sin, that darkness that we wrestle with every single day, we're all the same and he does it in three wonderful places he does it from above he does it next to us and he does it instead of us what a complete saviour you have if you know Jesus Christ this morning he doesn't just sit on a throne on high and tell you how to be better he doesn't just say I hope it gets well for you he actively speaks to the Father your name he prays for you he speaks, he intercedes on your behalf talking to God the Father about your life But not just that, he's with us in the power of the Holy Spirit next to us. As you go to work tomorrow or school or whatever it is, maybe you've got mocks um, or whatever it might be if you know Christ, he sits next to you. He won't give you the answers, I'm afraid. That's not how it works. But he's next to you. And if all goes to pot and all goes horribly wrong, he's next to you, he's with you. He understands your pain, he understands those temptations. He's been there, he's been through it yet without sin. He's conquered the death that you must go through. And then finally, he saves us by being our substitute, by being nailed to a cross to take every sin we've ever committed, every regret, every hurt, every pain. He pays the cost so that we can be transformed from the inside out. One of the first songs we sang this morning uh, was, If God is with us, who can uh, if our God is for us, who can stand against us? Hebrews 8 echoes that song, obviously inspired by it the other way around is that if God is for us, who can stand against us? And so, no matter what you're going through this morning, maybe it's time to start trusting Christ in a new way. Maybe it's time to start starting your day by saying, Lord, here's all of it. I can't do a single thing anymore. Maybe you need to start your day by looking up and seeing Christ on the throne, the King of kings, and then recognising that he's next to you as you walk to work or school or wherever you're going. And then look back to the cross and see what he's already done for you. Maybe it's time to start trusting him in a way you've not done before. Or maybe it's time to let him in. Or let him in more. And more. And more. Because God went to an awful lot of trouble to bring his son to this earth. And it wasn't for nothing. One thing that really struck me, and I'm going to finish here, is when Julie just reminded us that this has been the good news for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. That's a couple of world wars, some serious uh, flu pandemics. There's been all sorts of political instability. In Christ has been good news from day one. And he will remain good news for all the more thousands of years we may or may not have left as a planet. Is he your good news this morning? Let's pray. Lord God, just as we wrap this up, Father God... Just remind us, Father, of the the majesty and the passion, Lord, of Jesus in that manger. Lord, not just a a holy baby, not just a, a good man, Father. He is your Son, God the Son, equal with you as a baby in our place. He came, Lord, left his throne in heaven. He came to live amongst us, with us, like us, yet without any sin. Lord, then he went to that cross and he gave his life. And he took it back up again three days later. And, Lord, he is at the right hand with you. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask this morning, Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive now, who I can speak to as a brother, Lord, I ask that you would just move in this place. Lord, you will move, Father, Lord God, please. That you would move in a way you have not moved before in people's lives, Lord Jesus. That we would know you as our saviour in a way we've never known you before. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us even now, I pray. Lord Jesus, please. Oh, don't count our sin against us, but Lord, in your grace, do something wonderful in this place, we pray. I ask that you to raise us up and raise our eyes up, Lord, this week to see you and to know you and love you and to hear you. Be our strength, we pray, in hard times. And I ask it in your wonderful name, a living name, the name of Jesus. Amen.